Bear on Bears fans, welcome into another edition of the Chicago Bears podcast. Pat the designer, Courtney Cronin, the Thursday episode. You already know what that means. Eye on the enemy, our last eye on the enemy of the year. Also, got to break down what's going on with the injury report. Some names on there I'm not liking, Courtney. It's, uh, it's, it's getting a little sketchy here early on in the week, but we know. These guys are tough. They like to fight through the injuries. And, of course, last game of the year versus the Packers. We'll see that. And we got pro bowlers on the Chicago Bears. My God, are we doing something right? All that more on today's episode of the Chicago Bears podcast. Hit that like button. Subscribe to the page. Leave that five-star review. Y'all know what to do. Courtney, how's it going? It's good. Two more days up at Hallis Hall until, you know, we have locker clean out and whatever else comes about next week. But it's it's a weird – it's a – strange time of year where it's at the race to the finish line, but there's still so much at stake here, at least yeah. in terms of t- the 2023 season. And I know what's been said about the Packers rivalry that the bears are trying to keep it about themselves, but I, it, I just, there's something to this game that feels different than the other years where they could still try to even out the rivalry a little bit. They haven't beat this team since 2018, but Regardless of what is what is publicly being put out there by Matt Eberflus, you know deep down that these guys really want to get this one, really want to play spoiler. Like, how could you not? It's your yeah. biggest rival. And it's it's fun going into week 18 as a fan, as a journalist, as anybody, as somebody playing in this game, to have those things lined up to more where to, to have it be more than just about where your draft pick's gonna fall at the end of the game, you know? Yeah, it makes life a lot easier when Carolina's so bad you get the first overall pick again. You just kind of go into the offseason like, ah, whatever happens, happens. But for the guys in the locker room, right, still a very important game. Like you said, there's a huge game, I believe, for Justin Fields, possibly for his future here in Chicago. Huge game for the coaches here. I think probably the biggest game for Luke Getze of the season because mm-hmm. of the question marks on him. And he may have uh, a few guys missing out of the lineup yet again. Darnell Mooney still DNP with concussion-like symptoms. Where are we kind of at with Darnell Mooney? Is he just, he's not out there, he's not doing anything, or is he out there with the team and just still going through those symptoms, kind of like how Roshan was? Haven't seen him out there, and that leads me to believe that maybe we've seen the last of him for this season. I mean, who knows about next year? We can worry about that at a later date, but you know, to think you haven't practiced in, you know, you missed four practices because he didn't practice at all last week. Yesterday was the fourth. If he doesn't practice on Thursday, that's five. You thinking all of a sudden he's going to come back and be limited or something Friday and then get cleared. It just does not feel likely that that's the case. And of course his health first and foremost is the most important, but you know, what we saw last week in his absence was that there really wasn't that like, somebody to emerge as the person who steps up in his role. They use Valus Jones as a running back from time to time. Tyler Scott got five targets, two of which came in in the end zone, and, and he wasn't able to hold on to either. So it kind of speaks to right now, but also in the future, that the Bears still need like that wide receiver depth to develop so it's not just the DJ Moore and Cole Komet yeah. show because even Cole Komet was limited to 18 snaps or something last week, and he really wasn't able to do much with that knee. Now, he was someone who was on the report yesterday yeah. who, uh, again, did not practice because they're still working on the knee, and that's, that's smart. They're being, you know, they're being cautious with it, but... He was out there. I did see him, um, you know, just around like, you know, it's, it's a good sign if guys can be out there, if they're not having to get treatment in that moment that he was at least out at practice during the portion we were out for. So 
those are two that, uh, at least on the offensive side, to keep an eye on. And then, of course, Jalen Johnson, that's the big one on defense right now. Um, Oh, by the way, no, there is one more that I forgot to mention on on offense that, you know, DJ Moore in the ankle popped up again. Um, So he wasn't on it last week. Remember when he joked about being Wolverine, um, that he heals so quickly that he's just, I guess, you know, got a different body makeup than most of us, which obviously we already knew. I mean, if you can bend backwards while running and make a catch on the sideline, you're probably a different kind of dude. But, you know, all jokes aside, it was um, a little surprising to see him on there. He was limited, but, uh, you know, how how much work he was able to get in, I don't think necessarily is indicative of what that means for Sunday. It could just be them saying, hey, we know that you've had this ankle for a couple weeks. We want you to slow play it and not, put you through too much in practice where it ends up being a detriment to you. But offensively, those are the big ones that we were um, watching. Tyson Bajan was not out there with an illness. They end up working out Chris Streveler today. So that could, that to me is just like a body count thing of having, you know, you, you, they want three quarterbacks out there yeah. for practice. It helps with the rep counts and everything else. So if he's not able to be QB two this week, um, which of course, if they're working out a quarterback that leads you to believe this illness might keep him out for a couple days, then that would mean Nathan Peterman would be Justin Fields backup. Uh, doesn't mean anything more than that. And then they, because they did it with Patrick scales too. the long snapper came in on Monday and reported, um, a foot injury. So they signed Matt Overton, who was in Indianapolis, not with flus, but that's just like where most people remember him from. I think he was there 12 to 16. So just a precautionary reason there. Um, but yeah, I guess going back to the Jalen Johnson one, that's the big one. Uh, I think that everybody's looking at because he was limited to 20 snaps with that shoulder injury. Of course he got some, much some news that'll probably make him feel much better um, on on Wednesday night when they did the Pro Bowl announcement, which is really cool. I love the way that the That's team cool. put out the video for it, and um, I'm sure they they knew that they weren't going into a meeting uh, to you know talk about specific coverages that that they wanted to go through individually with one Blue's player, no one else in the better room. Excuses. I thought Blue's it was cute. Come up with some better excuses. <laughs> I thought it was cute. I thought they did a good job. His daughter was there. Montez yeah. Sweat had his own moment with all of the coaches and Ryan Poles was there for both of them. But um but as as far as the injuries, because uh, I know we'll talk about Pro Bowl in a second, like that's those are the ones to keep an eye on. And the good thing for them right now is that if they don't they can't get Jalen Johnson out there because look, he can't just be worrying about for himself week 18. He's worried about his contract next year. And, and he'll, like, rightfully so like you can't yeah. play with that when you're sitting on life changing money, that's going to come to you one way or the other, whether it's here, whether it's somewhere else, whether it is the franchise tag, whatever it is, you got to be really careful with that. And I know he'll want to play through whatever it is, but they have to also make sure that they protect the player from themselves because you have another good option behind him in Terrell Smith. And the the development we've seen of this rookie class, he's a fifth-round pick, and he's made significant contributions this year opposite Tyreek Stevenson and even playing in place of Tyreek Stevenson when he's had to. Yeah, Jalen Johnson has been, uh, I mean, listen, really, really good. And so it's going to be tough if he's not able to go in this game. But it speaks to, again, I think this is when you look at the Pro Bowl situation, which we're going to talk about as well. When you look at Terrell Smith being able to step in, I said it the other day, these are wins for Ryan Poles saying that we've got a GM that knows how to put pieces on the field that are the moment is not too big on, minus Valus Jones, uh, that the moment's not too big on for the most part, right? Like these guys, Terrell Smith is stepping. Stepped in, been a starter multiple times this season and done an excellent job at it. So 
if Jalen can't go right, there is kind of that conversation of, listen, I know you want to be here. I think that you are 24 years old and you should be here, but it's a business. And I saw Baker Mayfield give his all for his team with a torn rotator cuff. And mm-hmm. they were like, thanks for coming. Uh, here's the door. We'll see you on your next team. Like, And that's, you know, you don't want that situation to pop up. I don't think Jalen Johnson is in that situation. But at the end of the day, unfortunately, it is a business. And you got to still think about yourself and your body first because that's your money that's on the line. And Fluce did say that it was like it sounds like it's trending in the right direction with both Komet and with Jalen Johnson. So we'll see. It could just be that they needed a day to go get treatment during practice all of you know around the day. Um, and then maybe Thursday they will practice. Maybe Friday they'll be able to do a little bit more. I can't imagine anybody's going to want to sit out for a Packers game. Look, <laughs> like that's I mean, for as much as this team has lost yeah. to the Packers, I mean, Jalen Johnson has never beaten the Green Bay Packers. Cole Komet has never be- beaten the Green Bay Packers. Very few players on this team, Eddie Jackson and Patrick Scales, were the only. I think, uh, yeah. I mean, Cody Whitehair, those are the only three that have were on the team the last time that this group won in 2018. Of course they want to end on a high note. There is something to be said about that going into the offseason, mm-hmm. how, how good that would be for momentum, being able to carry that from week 18 all the way to training camp. That's insane. What year was Jalen Johnson drafted? 19? No, 20, COVID year. 20, that's right. Same with Dang, We have been... <laughs> Never mind. Uh, we got to talk more about that matchup, talk more about kind of what this is going to mean. I mean, we've gotten our hopes up for this matchup so many times. But before we do that, we we I do want to touch on the Pro Bowl situation because um, I think for Ryan Poles, right, you now have to look at this as is there a, a, a little bit of regret? as you've gone through the rest of the season because you could have possibly gotten Jalen Johnson at a certain number. And it feels like that number keeps going up. We know that right before he was talking about, I don't have to reset the DB market. And now they did everybody. Uh, when he went around the NFL, a lot of teams were like, that number's insane and we're not trading for you and paying you that number. But you could have had him at a certain number. Now with a Pro Bowl on his name, it feels like the number is continuing to go up. Do you oh, think yeah. there's a little bit of regret in Ryan Poles? That naturally there has to be just in terms of if they signed him before the season started to what, like if you go back to his comments from training camp, really, if you go back to, you know, he sits out for the volunteer couple weeks of the voluntary portion of OTAs. Um, he comes back for the last week of that is here for mini camp. And at that point he was saying, you know, I'm, I want to be here. I like, he, yeah. he's never changed his tone about that, which I think is, you know, indicative of what he sees that they're building here. Like he could have been like, screw this team. Like they didn't give me what I wanted at the trade deadline. I asked for a trade. They made the, this insane, uh, sort of, sort Asking of price. Yeah. Like is a late for late first to early second round. Like, of course I wasn't going to get traded it, within like 13 hours to go until the deadline. Um, he could have he could have handled this a lot of different ways, and he's handled it with nothing but professionalism, which, of course, like anybody who knows him is not surprised by that. But with that professionalism comes having to be professional by yourself. And that's not taking a number that you are not comfortable at and not shortchanging yourself. And so for Ryan Poles and his staff, what you know, what I think we look at here is that, this was they could have gotten him, you know, when Trayvon Diggs reset that reset the market, five years, 95 million, whatever yeah, it was yeah. back in um training camp, 
you know, he was saying, he's like, no, I'm not even looking for that. I'm looking for a fair deal. I'm looking for what I believe that I'm worth. Like, of course they could have gotten him cheaper, but you know, for whatever reason, whether it was wanting to see if he could, you know, get them, you know, get, check that next box, which was the takeaways, which was the interceptions. We know he's a great cover corner, um, but they wanted to see other things from him to determine, are you a building block for us going forward? Which I think they already knew. I just think that this was not something negotiation wise that played out in the bears favor early on because they could have, you know, they probably could have saved themselves some money bill. And if they would have seen a season from that point to now be like, man, we, uh, we can actually go, we can go out and get another player because we're not going to have to shell out all this money. But again, they do have some leverage here. They can use the franchise tag on him. That doesn't mean that he has to play on the tag. They can work out a long-term deal. Right. If they see, if they, you know, buy that July window, they, they can, can use it that. to buy time. Yes. Um, but at this point, why would you do that? Like, I just feel like, you know, that this guy is bought in. He's a, he's an absolute icon in this locker room. Like guys love him. And he is the glue that keeps a lot of things together. Think about like what he, Eddie Jackson, um, some of the vets had to do last year to keep that locker room together when they traded Robert Quinn and Roquan Smith, like they knew that they needed to lean on them. And they did. He got them through that year He's helped them through this year. Like just at this point, I'm, I know that they're, they're pro it's probably going to take a while. They're probably far away in number, but this to me feels like an inevitability that Jalen Johnson is a bear going forward. And the pro bowl helps with that. Like, and he, he, he deserves it. You know, he absolutely deserves it. I know that this is, you know, people say it's a popularity contest. Certainly it is. The fan vote counts for, I think, a third of it. And then coaches and players, it's notoriety around the league. Certainly if you, if you've, you know, production helps with that. But DJ Moore is t- top 10 in yards per game, receiving yards, receiving touchdowns, and he got snubbed out of it. So, I mean, there's there's an argument to be made for a lot of guys who didn't make the roster, and you can solidify guys who did make the roster. Montez Sweat was a no-brainer as well. And it's just, it's good. It, it's a feel-good moment for this franchise that hasn't had a pro bowler since 2021. Yeah, and especially, I, I think it really says a lot about the the uh, program that Ryan Poles is is building here when right you lead or you're second in the NFL in guys who were top 10 in voting for the pro bowl that means that you have a bunch of players that are people are looking around the league like no they actually got some good talent there i know michael parsons keeps saying on his podcast right that we're going to be in the nfc championship game next year i feel like he's blowing a little smoke our way i don't i don't, I don't know how confident he is in that but uh it's it's nice to hear from the, one of the league's best defender if not the best defender uh i think we also got to look on the other side of that uh with with Monty. no before we do that i did, I did want to bring this up did you think jalen john do you think jalen johnson thought that he was getting his contract right there when he walked in oh my gosh I, that didn't... I absolutely i looked at his face when he saw pro bowl and i was like he thought he was getting a hundred million dollars right there <laughs> it's a great thought um i love the video i mean i thought that it was a, you know good a moment it was where a nice like, ryan was poles cool. was like legitimately happy for him and I, I think that's so cool where you have a general manager who by and large at 36 37 years old he's not that far removed from where these players are i mean sometimes in the league you have older general managers who you know have kind of generations between them and the ability to relate to the young players that is something that you've seen time and again this season from ryan poles whether it's him picking up justin fields uh to the best of his abilities 230 pounds so it's a very difficult thing person to lift but doing that in the locker room in minnesota like 
genuinely being happy for the guys that, I mean, certainly Montez Sweat is more than just a feather in his cap, but for Jalen Johnson too, a guy that he has not paid yet where negotiations fell apart last minute, like the guy was requesting a trade. And now you get this happy ending where he wants to be here. He's a pro bowler. He makes you look good. You make the team is making him look good too, with the addition of sweat. Like it, it really turned out to be a nice story there at the end of the day. Now, what was he expecting? All right, pro bowl click on the screen. You see his, his graphic and then like contract offer the next one. I mean, what a cool moment that would have been. Um, I'll be curious to talk to him later today to see if he thought that that was coming too. But again, I, he's been pretty, pretty consistent on saying that he thinks that that stuff, he's like waiting till the off season to get yeah. going on any sort of contract. Talk. I was dying laughing at that. Like when he gave the hug, I I like paused it. I was like, what's the face look like? Is he, he thought it was a hundred million dollars coming his way right there. Uh, I think sweat's a great one to talk about as well though, because again, a feather in the cap of Ryan Poles, mm-hmm. a, another risk that Ryan Poles took taking, trading another second round pick. That didn't work out for you the first time. This second time around, it looks like it is a great get. And Montez mm-hmm. Sweat now heading to a Pro Bowl. And realistically, right, having more production here than he had with Washington. And he was having really, really good production with Washington on the defensive end. What does this do for this defense kind of, or, or how you build around this defense, I should say, moving forward now that you know that you have a mm-hmm. gold standard piece, or as they call it, a blue chip piece at that sure. defensive end position? Well, you need to get another one eventually. I think that that's, like, you have one game wrecker. And of yeah. course, like if you go back to, like he's an all around pass rusher like he can stop he can play the run he can he obviously is dominant at at rushing the passer like initially they thought they might have had that in unique in but we do know that in is a pass rush specialist so finding that complementary piece opposite montez sweat whether it is daniel hunter whether it is somebody else available in free agency like that would only take this unit to the next level to me, what's more important than that, though, probably their bigger priority on the defensive line is finding that disruptive three technique. Javon Dexter could very well get there one day, and good yeah. for him when he does. Um, but I look at this, and I think that uh, you know Chris Jones, he's a free agent after this we'll year. Uh, Christian we'll Wilkins, free agent after this year. Justin, and I know I'm going to say his name wrong, the guy in Baltimore, Justin Matabike, um, free agent after this year. You need a disruptive dent the pocket three technique interior yeah. in, to, to provide your interior pass rush, which has been better this year. It really has like, it's much different than it was a year ago. But it, when you see Montez sweat and the pro bowl and all of that, you're like, okay, we're on the cusp of something. Then that leads you to what your priorities are in the off season to make that unit only better, which in turn is going to help the Jalen Johnson's of the world. And on this defense, be able to do what they do and be able to cover uh, receivers downfield and not have to do it for seven seconds because you're letting a quarterback run around back there uh, yeah. all day. I mean, it's it's really, you know the numbers, you've seen the stats of how much his defense has improved since Sweat has arrived, and to see one player turn turn the the knob in the in the right direction for this defense is a really good, happy ending for this team after such a bad start, especially as his defense couldn't seem to figure it out the first couple of weeks. Yeah, I was sitting there literally looking at Sweat's numbers, and I was I was like, he's having a Khalil Mack impact on this team, mm-hmm. and we got him for so much less. Yeah, didn't <laughs> have to give up a first-round pick. 
so much less. So uh, we're already off on the right track here. And and hopefully uh, uh, he's going to be chasing Jordan Love around all day coming up this Sunday. And we want to do our Eye on the Enemy episode. So we have to welcome in. I believe we had him week one of the season. In a while. I'm not mistaken. It's been a little while. We haven't seen each other for a while. Matt Schneidman back here on the Chicago Bears podcast, writer for The Athletic and, of course, host of the Matt Schneidman show on 97.3 The Game, Monday through Friday, 6 to 7 p.m. If you're uh, interested in uh, Packers coverage, uh, tune in over there as well. Matt, what's going on, man? How you guys doing? This is what we do it for. Packers, Bears, spotting the playoffs on the line. What gets better than this? Yeah. It's it's always us trying to just keep you at our level and not allow <laughs> you to get better than us, right? And, and that's really what a win by the Bears does heading into this. But I, the one thing that I will say, and I think that I have to give ugh, credit. I know, I know. Relax, Bears fans. To the Packers on. Uh, and something that I think a lot of people maybe didn't talk about is Matt LaFleur and how much of a offensive tactician that he can be. I have to praise the job that he's done with Jordan Love, working him along, getting him to a point where now I think you could say Jordan Love looks like a pretty competent quarterback in this NFL. What has been your perspective on the job that Matt LaFleur has done this season with this Packers team? Well, first of all, I do want to make amends with Bears fans coming on this show because – uh, in the third quarter on Sunday night, when the Packers were playing the Vikings, I tweeted out that Jordan Love has now uh, surpassed any Bears quarterback in history in terms of single-season passing yards and passing touchdowns. Yes, And Bears fans were on me like white on rice. They were not happy with me. How can a Packers fan be thinking about the Bears? Well, first of all, I'm not a fan. I just cover the team. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But – I might have been baiting them a little bit. So there's a little bait. Hey, you got to get that Twitter check somehow. Absolutely nothing. Yeah, (laughs) no. no. Um, Yeah, Matt LaFleur's done a a really good job. I think one of the big questions entering this season was how much of his success is because of Aaron Rodgers and how much of, Mm -hmm. you know, Rodgers' success is because of him. Matt LaFleur's done a really good job, you know, drawing up easy completions for Jordan Love. We saw some of them last Sunday night. And he's also done a really good job just letting Jordan Love be himself. I go back to week 12 when they beat the Lions on Thanksgiving Day in Detroit. And the Packers did something they rarely do, and that's receive after they win the toss. They took the ball, first play of the game, 53-yard completion to Christian Watson. And not just a catch and run, it was a bomb downfield. And LaFleur told us after the game that uh, he texted Jordan Love on Thursday morning, that morning saying he wanted to change the first play of the game because uh, he didn't think there were enough checkdowns in case, you know, the pass rush got home for the Lions, and it was a longer developing play. And Jordan Love responded saying, no, we're keeping this play, and he did. So, um, sure, that's not credit to LaFleur. It's more credit to Love. But my point is they've kind of built this working relationship where it's mutually beneficial. Love's playing really well, but it's also in part because LaFleur is kind of enabling him to and giving him the freedom to do his thing. He's quietly had one of the better seasons by a quarterback, yeah. at least this year, which is wild to think about considering this team is eight and eight. They are clawing to get into the postseason at this point, but he's top 10 in passing yards, top 10 in QBR, 11 in passer rating, you know, third most passing touchdowns this season. Like, how did we get here? Because I remember there were so many questions and there were moments where it's like, wow, Jordan Love really has it together. The Packers have it together. They solved the they solved the quarterback thing again. 
something that the Bears have not been able to do in that same 30-year stretch where it was two quarterbacks dominating mm-hmm. the division. But there's like the Lions game that you think about, and then there's like the Bucks game that you think about. And there's so much in between. Yeah. I guess what I'm trying to figure out is this consistent level of quarterback play that we've seen from him, especially down the stretch of the season. Like it's all offense that got them past Minnesota. I mean, certainly that defense, you know, gave just Jordan Love some fits early on, but how, how has he consistently been able to produce this way when there had been so many questions about the receivers, about other pieces on the offense, about how they were going to build this thing around him in the year that they moved past Aaron Rodgers? Yeah, I, I think first and foremost, he's playing really well. You know, if you look at just the type of throws he's making, they did a side-by-side on the Sunday Night Football broadcast of Love's first touchdown pass to Jaden Reed, which was a phenomenal throw down the middle of the field. Um, and when he released the ball, neither of his feet were on the ground. And they put a picture of Brett Favre throwing a ball with neither of his feet on the ground, too. He's throwing it off balance into tight windows, kind of a sidearm Aaron Rodgers-style thing. But, you know, back in the middle of the season when they were on a four-game losing streak and they were 2-5 and five and 3-6, and six, Matt LaFleur and Brian Gutekunst, when he spoke, didn't seem too worried because they said, we need to get better around Jordan. And I think just as we critiqued his supporting cast earlier in the year, we need to praise them now because guys like Jaden Reed, uh, Naperville native, yeah. Dontavian Wicks, both rookies, they've stepped up big time. Uh, the offensive line has been playing better. And the biggest thing, I think, at least in the last two games, is Aaron Jones. Aaron Jones, yeah. uh, I don't know if it was – I don't think it was tore, but uh, suffered a pretty significant hamstring injury – on his 35-yard touchdown catch against the Bears in week one, he had 127 total yards and two touchdowns through two and a half quarters. And then his hamstring wasn't fully healed until week nine. It took like two months yeah. to fully heal. And he sprained his MCL, thought he tore his ACL when it first happened, so he missed another three games. The last two games, he's been really healthy, and it's the last two games he's gone for 21 carries and 127 yards on the ground and 20 carries and 120 yards. So six yards a carry each game, and it's not just like, a 50 yard run and then a couple four yard runs. Like he's consistently getting, you know, five to 10 yards on the ground. And that opens up so many things for this offense with all due respect to AJ Dillon. You know, he, he serves a, a role on this team without a doubt, but the team is just different. The offense is different when Aaron Jones is running the ball. And I think that's been the biggest difference lately for this. offense. Well, he said something the other day, like I'm not going to remember what it was verbatim, but it was like, I can be a game changer. I can help this team get to where it wants to go. Like we don't hear that from Aaron Jones. Like what did you make of that sort of comment that he made that typically from somebody who's like, you know, I'm just here to help the team. I'm yeah. here to Like it felt like he was the confidence that he built in himself, that 20 carry game that he had against Minnesota. Maybe he's just feeling himself in that moment. Maybe it's a sign of something bigger. What should we take away from that? I think he's just, you know, stating facts. And and like you said, Courtney, you know, Aaron Jones isn't normally one to, you know, toot his own horn. He's one of the most humble guys and, and you know, nicest guys in that locker room. But he's not wrong. I mean, this offense is different when he's running the ball. And, you know, he's 29 years old now. He has one year left on his contract. And I remember asking him after the Panthers game two weeks ago when he went for 127 yards on the ground. I said, does it does it kind of feel good to sometimes remind people that you're not this grandpa and running back years? And he's like, oh, yeah, you know, p- people are doubting me. People are saying this and that. And it is good to to remind them that I've still got it, especially, you know, he played 62 of 66 games 
in the last four regular seasons combined before this one. And, and this has been the most injury plagued season of his career. So it's been tough for him, but he, he's right. Not only in the running game, but in the passing game, he is this team's, not just the offenses. He is this team's most important player behind Jordan Love. And if they can get a similar game from him on Sunday, I think the Packers have a good shot to make the playoffs. From the time we played you guys in week one to now week 18, what has been the thing that maybe has surprised you the most that has gotten better throughout the season from this Packers team? Because for the Bears, it's been a very up and down growth process, but now we're at the end of the season and we're kind of seeing, okay, the Bears offense looking a little bit better. Defense definitely looking a lot better than the first time we played you guys. What Mm -hmm. has been the thing for the Packers that has really stood out over these past 17 weeks? It's kind of been a similar up and down path because they started with that dominant win in Chicago and then they come back against the Saints in week three from 17 nothing down in the fourth quarter to win. So they are two and one. We're like, all right, how much is Jordan Love getting paid in week eight? Are they going to extend him in week eight? (laughs) And they fall to two and five and three and six. Then they win three straight against the Chargers, Lions, and Chiefs. Then they lose to the Giants and Bucks. Now they've won two straight. It's been a similar roller coaster ride. Um, the thing that surprised me most in terms of what's changed or improved, I would the, the easy answer is Jordan Love, but um, that would probably be more so improved from that four-game losing streak rather than improved from early in the season. But I think just the trust he has in his receivers. Yeah, you know there there were serious problems with drops early in the season, whether it was you know Christian Watson or Romeo Dobbs has had some, uh, you know Reed's had some. Right now, him and his receivers just to be look to be extremely in sync. Whether it's his receivers giving him, you know, ample opportunity to find them because they're getting wide open, like a guy named Bo Melton who had zero career NFL catches three weeks ago was nobody was covering him on Sunday night against the Vikings. A guy named yeah. Bo Melton is the Packers' first 100-yard receiver this season, and I think that just speaks to kind of the rhythm that Jordan Love and his guys are finding right now. Um, other than that, the biggest surprise I would say is just how bad the defense has been. And that's why we see Joe Barry fighting for his job. Maybe it's not even fighting for his job. His fate might already be decided, but that that should be decided already. It it should be, uh, bears fans should hope that Joe Barry, uh, has a good game and the bears win. I don't know, 12, nine. So that Matt LaFleur is incentivized to keep him because uh, they need to make a change there. But that that's been a big surprise. Um, but this is a Bears team who's improved more so. Matt LaFleur said after Sunday night's game against the Vikings that the Bears are more improved than anyone else in the NFL since week one. So, you know, this is my fifth year covering the Packers. I get the sense that this is the most cautious that the Packers have been about a Bears team under Matt LaFleur. Mm-hmm. Mm. The Joe Barry thing is interesting because if you listen to Chris Collinsworth on the broadcast on Sunday Night Football, he doesn't typically, I want to say, call for people's jobs, but he was speaking to the inevitability that a change is probably going to be made Mm -hmm. at the defensive coordinator spot. And we know what happened in allowing Tommy DeVito to go down the field, lead a game-winning drive so they kick that field goal. The Panthers' anemic offense, if that's like a nice way of putting it, looked electric against this Packers defense. And then what we've seen what we saw from Baker Mayfield, the perfect passer rating, him coming into Lambeau, that team effectively solidifying its status as a deep playoff, as a playoff threat, maybe not a deep one, but at least one that like, at least one that looks like a legitimate one. So mm-hmm. unlike some other teams, like 
where did this thing go so wrong? Like a team that's like bottom 10 and DVOA for another year. Like it just, they have the pieces up front for a great pass rush. They have the talent on the back end, yet something isn't clicking. Yeah, it, it's a lot of different things. And, you know, people can point to, they love pinpointing Joe Barry's penchant for playing soft zone or off coverage. Mm-hmm. And that's part of it. Like against the Buccaneers, Baker obviously had the perfect passer rating. And I think there was a next gen stat stat that, you know, Baker went 22 for 28 that game for like 384 yards and, and four touchdowns. And against zone, he went, I think, 21 for 26 for 361 and three touchdowns. So the Packers just stayed in zone the entire game. We're getting eviscerated by it. And after the game, Matt LaFleur, more so than he has called out Joe Barry ever, basically said, yeah, it would have been nice if we had, you know, changed something up. You know, when you're getting gashed like that, mm-hmm. you would like to see a change. And Joe Barry's been different at the podium the last couple of weeks. He's been kind of subdued. You can tell he thinks he's fighting for his job. He admitted as much. He said, I see what's said. I see what everyone writes. I do feel like my back is against the wall. It's been a number of things. It's been his scheme. It's been, you know, an inability to call effective man coverage plays like in that Buccaneers game. It's been injuries. You know, Jair Alexander has missed 10 games this season in past years because this isn't just a one-year thing. This defense has underwhelmed the past three years, you know, when looking at the the broader scope. You know, Rashawn Gary tore his ACL, missed the second half of last season, and their pass rush fell off a cliff. He was limited for the first six games this year. They traded Rasul Douglas when they were two and five. And he's gone on to be one, like one of the best corners in the league, the reigning AFC defensive player of the week. It's a number of things. Like, I, I don't know if the defense is, is bought into what Joe Barry's teaching. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it doesn't seem like they are. Sometimes it does. Um, but Sunday night against the Vikings was kind of a reprieve from the, you know, severely underwhelming defenses we've watched. And like uh, I said, I don't think there's anything Joe Barry can do short of maybe winning a Super Bowl that can save him his job. I, I would imagine Matt LaFleur's mind is already made up. And I think there's a big reason for Packer fans to be really worried about what this Bears offense can do going into Sunday. You mentioned Jair Alexander. So I know he's back with the team after the suspension for mm-hmm. the coin toss <laughs> yeah. catastrophe. Um what, what's going on with him this year? I mean, is it, is it just as simple as, from, from an outsider's perspective, it looked like the guy got paid, he doesn't like the defensive coordinator, he doesn't like the position he's being put in, so he coasted. And then, of course, all of the missed games due to injury, but then he's healthy and he's not out there. Like, what, what is the real story on what's gone down with Jair Alexander? Yeah, we're still trying to figure that out a little bit. Uh, I will say he got paid in the 2022 offseason and then made a second-team All-Pro last year, so... If there was displeasure with Joe Barry in the system, he hit it well for a year. Mm -hmm. This year, it's been injury. It's been his own defiance of whoever. We're still not exactly sure what has caused him to, you know, act out. And I'm going to use that term because I think it's accurate. You know, Matt LaFleur said when I asked him last week, was it just the coin toss incident while you guys suspended him? Or has there been other stuff that led up to it? And he said, it's never just one thing. Sure. So, you know, Alexander missed three games early in the season with a back injury, uh, returned too early against the Raiders just because he wanted to play against Devontae Adams, played all 64 snaps. Packers lost that game 17-13, and then he missed another game with a back injury. Then he injured his shoulder, diving for an interception that he didn't catch uh, against the Rams in Week 9, 
then misses six consecutive games. And it, and it got funky because he practiced in a limited capacity from week 11 to week 15, mm-hmm. but missed all those games. That's what I never understood, like what that, yeah. that stretch of the season was. Because it's like you're practicing, but you're not playing. And it yeah, was like, yeah, yeah. It, correct me if I'm wrong, Matt, it was limited like every single of, the, of I guess that would have been like 15 straight practices. He was uh, Yeah. And there, there were some days in there where they just held walkthroughs since they had like the Thursday game mm-hmm. against the Lions. But he was on the field. And, you know, to add some mystery to it, he traveled with the team to Pittsburgh and to Detroit, which were the first two road games after a shoulder injury. And then he didn't travel to the Giants game in week 14. And when asked about it, Matt LaFleur said, oh, it was just injury recovery related. But then Matt LaFleur is now saying there was a series of events before the coin toss incident that led them to suspend him. So clearly Matt LaFleur was lying. Shocker, an NFL head coach lied. I know that's never happened before. But listen, this kid is a 26-year-old two-time All-Pro who is the highest paid cornerback in NFL history still. Since that contract extension for $21 million a year, he got a couple years ago. Um, There was clearly something causing him to act out. He's always been kind of a different cat, like Mm -hmm. kind of doing his own thing, an independent thinker. But this year it went from kind of charming maybe and unique to Jair to over the top with the coaching staff. And that's why they suspended him because – they took that drastic measure in hope it was a wake-up call for him, a last-ditch attempt to save this relationship. And when he spoke yesterday for about five minutes in the locker room, it was clear something was different. He said, I think my interviews are going to be a little more serious. You know, he'll wear sunglasses and wrestling belts and, you know, the big hat he wore after shutting down Justin Jefferson last year. None of that was there. He was a lot more soft-spoken, uh, you know, focused on the task at hand. He's going to play on Sunday. Is he going to play well? I don't know. He hasn't been great this year when he's been healthy, healthy enough to play. So we'll see if they get a good Jair Alexander, but it seems they have one who got that wake-up call, um, who is committed to this team for not only this year but beyond. You know, he has two years left on that contract extension, so I don't think he's going anywhere. When you look at kind of what's coming into this uh, defense or or offense uh, for the Packers, right? The Bears haven't allowed more than 20 points since week 11 of the season, which is really tells you kind of the jump that the defense has taken. Mm-hmm. On the flip side of that, the Packers this season are now 2-6 and six when scoring 20 or fewer points. How do you think Matt LaFleur is going to attack this Chicago Bears defense to try and get above that 20-point margin? Yeah, I think they have to do what they've done so rarely. I mentioned it earlier is – if they win the toss, take the ball, try and set the tone like they did against the Lions. Now, um, the Packers, I think for seven straight games from week three to week 10, there was a bye week in there. They scored 20 or fewer points in the last seven games. So from week 11 until week 17, they haven't scored fewer than 20 points in any game. They scored 20 once, and that was against the Buccaneers when they lost 34 to 20. But they've scored more than 20 in each of those games. And in the last two games, they've scored more than 30 for two of the only three times they've done it this year, the other time being week one against the Bears. you got to get Aaron Jones going. That's number one. You know, the reason they've scored more than 30 in each of the last two games against the Panthers and Vikings is largely because, yes, Jordan Love's playing well, but Aaron Jones has run for 120 yards. You know, our friend Rob ESPN Stats and Info (laughs) gave Rob a good stat yesterday. No running back in Packers history has ever run for 120 yards in three consecutive games, and Aaron Jones can do that on Sunday. So that opens up so much for this offense. 
that's where it starts and ends. For as good as Jordan Love has been, this offense's most explosive player is still Aaron Jones. Even at 29 years old, a grandpa in running back years, they got to get him going early and often. I love that 29 years old is grandpa and running is, here, but it, it is. really is. It really is. We know you got to get out of here, Matt. Got another interview to jump on. But before that, uh, what is your prediction on Sunday? What do you expect to have? Yeah, I've been so wrong on my game predictions with this team. <laughs> Same. So Same. take this with a grain of salt. Bears fans should actually be happy that I'm picking the Packers. But I, I said this earlier today. I'm going 27-21 Packers. But – you know, in my five years covering the Packers, this is the least confident I would say I felt about a Packers win in the now 10 games they've played the Bears. Week one this year, I just had no idea what to expect. So it wasn't really confidence or yeah. lack of confidence. But with the way the Bears have played lately, even if it's against maybe some underwhelming teams, some underwhelming quarterbacks, I think the Packers have have a real challenge ahead of them. Make sure to check out Matt over on uh, The Athletic, of course, and of course at 97.3, the game with the Matt Schneidman Show. Matt, appreciate you for tuning in with us for another episode of Chicago Bears Podcast, man. Have a great day and stay safe out there. Always a pleasure. Great talking with you. Thanks, Matt. Matt Schneidman, ladies and gentlemen, that Eye on the Enemy episode. I mean, Courtney made some great points. I mm-hmm. think that uh, the Bears are going into – here's the here's the thing. To me, this is the perfect matchup of they do this well, we do this well, and everybody meet in the middle and wrestle. It's <laughs> a good way to put it. Um, like, I still when, – when you hear Flus talk about their defense, and I feel like he gave us a 10-minute scouting report on all the players that they have in the, uh, on that side of the ball, yet – you still have these losses that are puzzling for the Green Bay for Green Bay. And it's not, you can't pin it all on one side of the ball or not, but it just feels like this defense has floundered. And it's like trying to figure out how does that happen when you have an offense for Chicago in recent weeks. I mean, they're hitting that 28 point mark that Justin Fields has talked about. Like, is that possible to do on the road in an environment that you know is going to be maybe? the craziest that you've played in all year. I mean, the, you, the yeah. Packers fans know it's at stake. The I would imagine that these tickets are going to be a hard get. And it's just, it's such a measuring stick game for Chicago. I mean, for Green Bay, if you miss the playoffs in week 18 and back-to-back years, to me, that foreshadows a lot of changes. Yeah. And of course, Joe Barry's probably at the top of that. But maybe there's other ones that the Packers look at in terms of personnel, but also elsewhere on the coaching staff. For the Bears to have a game where the stakes are this high and if they meet those if they meet those expectations that tells you a lot more about where they are right now and what kind of playoff team they could have been probably one of the more dangerous ones in the NFC had they won a couple games that they should have not blown some fourth quarter leads and against a team that is headed towards where you want to be if you can play spoilers to that if you cannot have any sort of late ha- or you know end of half end of game lulls the way that yeah. they have i mean that that's been the consistent thing that i know that they've been riding high on this Atlanta win the Arizona win um, a couple other ones along the way they still have some of those issues at the end of halves where they're struggling to move the ball where they're not where they're not able to put themselves in 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 scoring range or even in field goal range and that's tough but 
I, I would feel like I'm, I, I am picking the bears in this game to pull the, pull off the upset. I actually feel probably the most confident I have about a bears pick this year. Uh, I'm like mad. I mean, there've been times where I've picked games. And I'm like, wait, that like went the completely opposite way that I thought it was going to go. Um, but no, I mean the last couple of weeks I have picked Chicago granted yeah. some of their opponents have made it easier to do that. But then again, you know, they beat an Arizona team that just went into Philly and upset Philly. Much, much of that was on the Eagles' inability to hold on to a 21 to 6 lead, but they still beat the opponents that they should have. Now, does this fall into a you should beat this team category? It's the Packers. Everybody's going to say, of course, you should beat the Packers. But I think that they are honestly capable of it. The health situation, I know, is a little murky at a couple positions right now, but I don't think that that should prohibit them from being able to carry the momentum forward for what they've been able to do offensively, offensively, but also, you know, putting Jordan Love in some tough spots. He hasn't thrown multiple interceptions, I believe, since week 10. Yeah. Could this be a two-interception game for him? I would not be surprised about that. He's been really good at not turning the ball over, very accurate quarterback, but the way that this defense has played, Tyreek Stevenson coming off a two-interception day, Kyler Gordon getting in on the action, the linebackers are always around the football too. This could be a pretty big step forward for this team collectively, but particularly for the defense, the way that they've been playing and knowing how that travels too. When you last question here, when you look at this, right, and I think a lot of people feel the way you do, where this is a this is a game the Bears can get. Defensively, they're playing the best that they can. Like I said with the Packers, right? They they haven't won when they've scored less than 20 points. Bears haven't allowed more than 20 points since week eleven. With all of that feeling around it, does it feel like a win in this situation can at best keep things status quo, but a loss probably means this thing goes nuclear? It's a good, it's a good question. I don't think it goes nuclear. I do – like we know what is at stake here and what we know what has been reported, that it looks like Flus is coming back. We have yeah. all indications to believe that that's still the case, that yeah. independent of this game, they are probably bringing him back, but – Knowing, knowing what is at stake for everyone else in this roster, I mean, for Justin Fields, let's take a look at him first. He has a good game here. Could that potentially swing the pendulum back in, yeah. in you know, swing the pendulum one way to getting him to, you know, solidifying him as the quarterback? We won't know that. The cries from the fan base will be louder, but also those thinking, man, he's played awesome. That's going to only up the price on getting Justin Fields, you know, to another team to get that draft capital back for Chicago. Like that, that's what's at stake for him specifically. But I would think for Luke Getze, this kind of feels like the, you know, the push all the chips to the middle of the table, give us the best that you've got sort of game to prove that you should be back here next year. To me, that's probably where this is headed, but Again, we've talked about this a lot. Like, if you are planning on staying with Matt Eberflus, that's one domino that fell. If you get rid of Luke Getze, you, it, to me, it feels like you're probably moving on from Justin Fields because the thought of putting him in a third offensive system since 2021, and we know it takes about you know more than a season to learn and be proficient in that system. Do you want to set the clock? Do you believe you're setting the clock back? Do you, do you feel like you can overcome that given the way that your defense is played? It's a lot to consider, but I do still think that the door is open for some pretty significant changes if they if they don't win this game. Do they run it back with all three pieces that we just mentioned if they do win it? I'm not so convinced on that either. I don't yep. think that you can put that much stock into, effectively, if you're looking at this in a vacuum, 
six, the last six games. Um, I don't know if, if I, I don't know long term if that would be the smart play. We'll see what it ends up being. This Sunday is going to be a big week 18 finish to the season for the Chicago Bears. Can they force the Packers to yet again miss out on the playoffs in another week 18? That would be, I'm not going to lie, I would laugh very hard. I'd call all my Packers friends and just laugh into the phone. Uh, Billy Donovan laughed. Did you see that? Did you I see did. That? I did. It was like the personality. Was I was like, where'd this come from? That was terrifying. Never seen this before. I've, I've never seen Billy Donovan laugh in his career. I was scared. And somehow it explained so much. Hey, appreciate you guys for tuning in. Hit that like button, subscribe to the page, leave that five-star review. Y'all know what to do. As always, man, it's your boy Path the Designer back at it again. Joined by Courtney Cronin. Big thanks to Matt, Schneid, Matt Schneidman for joining the show today. Y'all stay safe out there, Chicago. Bear done. Peace.